0: And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Shalom. This word is a Hebrew word often translated into English as peace. And this is a permissible translation because peace is the English word most closely approximate uh, to the Hebrew word shalom. However, shalom Meaning peace means more than often comes to our minds when we think of the word peace. When we think of the word peace, we often associate it with an absence of hostility, or in the case of having a lot of children or just people around, from an absence of noise. But when the Hebrew talks about shalom, it means something a little deeper a wholeness of life, a life without contradiction. Psychologically, we may talk about an internal peace, a peace that comes from knowing who you are and why you are here, an internal peace that flows outward to others, for those that are peace within are more adept at maintaining peace between between people. Now, as we think about this idea of peace, we recognize that it does not, uh, is not very popular, or at least, even if it is popular, it is not very common in our society. We live among people in near-perpetual conflict. We see the rise of animosity within our own nation and wonder where peace is. Intelligence and education that some have trusted in to bring peace do not produce peace. If understanding were the solution, then we, must, we ought to be the most peaceful of people since we have access to more information uh, at our time than any previous generation. Instead of producing peace, all of this access to information, all of this pretense at understanding has made us more divided and angry than ever. And even Christians, those who ought to know better, struggle with peace. We have tasted the peace that comes from knowing the saving power of Jesus. Without this, no one can ever have true peace. And yet we, as believers, often find ourselves struggling to maintain or to obtain peace. And why is that? Today, I want us to look at this topic of peace. Christmas has a number of references to peace, We read of one in Isaiah 9, it calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Of the peace of his government, there shall be no end. The message of the angels was for peace on earth. And I think the story of Mary often gives us a, a, one of the best personal pictures of peace. An announcement that comes to Mary and her peace is, in a sense, shattered, but she reta- regains it. And it's this process that I want us to examine this morning. I want us to examine this passage in three stages. Mary's contemplation, Mary's question, and Mary's comfort. Mary's contemplation, Mary's question, and Mary's comfort. And you can identify all of these, uh, ask these three parts as you look at what it is that Mary, how Mary responds to the angel in three parts in this story. Luke's Gospel begins with the birth of John the Baptist rather than Jesus. It is John's father that is struck dumb by an angel. Zechariah is performing his duties in the temple and is told by the angel that he will have a son, but he doesn't believe. So he is struck mute until his child shall be born. John's mother, way too old to be having babies, suddenly finds herself pregnant. It is a beginning of an age of miracles. Mary was a cousin of John's mother and knew of the pregnancy. And suddenly, confronted by an angel, Mary finds her world shattered. Luke begins with a chronological marker based on the pregnancy of Elizabeth. We see this in 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. This idea of the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Half a year has passed since word got around about Elizabeth. If you remember the story, Luke tells us that she goes into seclusion because this thing is so uh, novel. Luke adds a new character to the drama, a virgin, an unmarried girl, a a girl who is engaged to a man from a royal family living in Nazareth. You find all that in these verses. He's sent to Nazareth. This virgin is in Nazareth, but she's a spouse, Joseph, who's of the house of David. And this, at this point, should be uh, almost warning bells going off or red flags going off or some contradiction in your mind because why is a member of the royal family living in Nazareth, in Galilee of the Gentiles, as we read this morning in, Luke, in Isaiah chapter 9? Mary, living so far from her husband, who lives in Judea, Uh, presumably. Mary having a Levitical cousin, it is a time far different than the pre-exilic era. It is a time where people are longing for the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, to come and return them to a prior era. There's a sense even in these very simple verses that things aren't the way they ought to be. And the angel comes with a message and we know this angel's name, for it is given to us as Gabriel. This name tells us that this is the same angel who came to Daniel and communicated God's will regarding the Messiah in Daniel chapter nine verse twenty-five. Gabriel's approach indicates something messianic is about to occur, and this is found in his uh, greeting here in verse twenty-eight. The angel came and unto her, and said, "Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee." blessed art thou among women. There is a royalness to this greeting. There is something majestic in this salutation. There's a formality here. He's not merely saying, hi. This is not the customary shalom. Uh, I I try to use um, examples or illustrations that are common to us, and so I won't tell you about the television show which most of you probably never saw because it only ran for two seasons but there was a character who made up t- t-shirts and on the front they said hello and in the back they said goodbye it was kind of an interesting idea and so for he made it in different languages and you know of course in hebrew in the front it says shalom and in the back it says shalom because peace to you was a common greeting it still is a common greeting in arabic And since this is not uh, the word that is used. Instead, it is hail, greetings. Gabriel expressed what he knows about Mary. This uh, This is a royal greeting. And Gabriel expresses this in his statement. Hail thou that are highly favored. It's a fascinating revelation of the personality of angels. They are distinct beings from God who are sent to do his bidding. The next word is this one part, participle that means one who has been graced. You who are highly favored. The best uh, translation takes it as an appellation, a title of sorts, highly favored one. This is who she is. Gabriel is not, Gabriel's an angel. He can't tell an untruth. This is who Mary is, this is her identity. Even though she may not uh, appreciate this reality about her identity, this is her existence. She is the highly favored one. This one deserves this title because of what it is that God will do with her. She of all women will receive a unique blessing. And part of this special blessing is the presence of God with her. But Mary hears this greeting, and he troubles her. Hail thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among women. Three things that are said about Mary. You are highly favored. You are highly graced. The Lord is with you. Emmanuel. Uh, we've been thinking about the tabernacle the necessity, the, the desire, the longing that Israel has for God to be with, you, with them. And here the angel has said, God is with you. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you above all women. This is who you are, Mary. This is who you are. You are one who has found favor in the eyes of God. You are one to whom the Lord has presented himself. And you are the one who is beyond all women blessed. Now, Mary hears all this, and her response is, well, it probably is very common. Let's not look at Mary and say, you've been told all these great things, and why do you respond in this way? We would respond this way, too, if some Joe came up to us and said all of these things about us. Look at what, she's, what happens in verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this might be. It wasn't the the mere presence of the angel that troubled her. It is what he said. Notice that in this verse. If an angel just showed up in in our face, we would probably be a little bit nervous too. But it wasn't just the presence of this angel. It was the content of his message that caused her to be troubled. We can conjecture that the angel simply looked like any other man, uh, but that may or may not have been the case. We know that she takes him as a messenger from God. Uh, there must have been some reason for her acceptance of this message as being one truly coming from God. So Because if someone just appeared to any one of us, if some Joe just came up to us that we didn't know from Adam, we would probably and said, Hail, you that are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among men or women. We'd probably say, Okay, sir, I need to take you to a nice place where they're going to put a coat on you and put you in a nice padded cell. There had to be something about this person. There had to be something about this Gabriel when he showed up to Mary that convinced her that he was from God. And even as a a messenger from God, this greeting troubled her. She begins thinking about the words and asking herself, what do they mean? The word here. Uh, can mean to discuss, casting about in your mind. The root, it's the root word from which we get the word dialogue, uh, an internal conversation in her mind, asking, Mary asking herself, why would the mes- this messenger address me wh- this way? Why should he think there is anything special about an unmarried woman in Nazareth? When we look at this, we often can understand Mary's concern. Unexpected news often shakes our peace. I go online oftentimes to get my news and I read of reports and oftentimes they try to shake my peace until I step back and realize, well, partly the fact that next, you know, in, in five minutes, Uh, The headline that is alarming me right now is going to be replaced with another headline that won't alarm me as much. I've I've become very numb to uh, astonishing news. But the unbeliever feels like the world is out of control when this news hits. The unbeliever, when they confront circumstances that are alarming and worrying, and anxiety-producing, they begin to feel like the world is out of control, that they have no part in it. But the believer cannot rightly indulge in that feeling. The believer has no business feeling like the world is out of control. If you feel like the world is out of control, you need to check your theology, because God is always in control of all things. That is what we mean by God is sovereign, that the news ought not to shake us in this way because God is sovereign. But that does not mean that the news does not shake believers. This is Mary. She's a believer. And an angel shows up and says these things to her and her peace is shattered, in a sense. She's casting about her mind. She's troubled. What is going on? And I put it to you that the, that the substance of her trouble is not feeling that the world is spinning out of control. Instead, it is her struggling to understand what God is doing. What is God doing in the world? What is it that is happening? Because we, we understand that God is sovereign. We understand that every circumstance in our life comes from his hand, but we don't understand why. To combat this robber of peace, I put it to you that we need to reach for two weapons. We need to reach for humility. God knows more than we do and has a greater and more intricate plan than we can ever comprehend. God, as sovereign and as omnipotent and omniscient, knows more than us, is more powerful than us, and his plan is more intricate than our puny minds could ever understand. And so there must be a humility to say, God, I don't know, and I may never know what you are doing, but I trust that you do. But more than that, the other weapon is that we need to remember God's character. That God loves his people and does everything for their good. Because when we have to admit that we don't and can't and ought not understand the intricacies of what God is doing, we have to trust that his character is still his character. That the love he has shown to us in Christ upon the cross, sacrificing his son for our sins, is also made manifest in every new story that we hear. But when you come to this story, you might think this reality. How odd is it that this announcement, which ought to have produced the greatest peace ever, brought Mary trouble? We often look down on Mary because we think, if an angel came to me and said this, I'd be like, woohoo, party time. But I suggest to you that that's not necessarily how we react because is this announcement any more different than all the other news we hear in our lives. I mean, yes, it is because this is the announcement of the Incarnation, but it is also the announcement of how God is working out His plan of redemption in space and time. And I put it to you that every circumstance that occurs within this space and this time is occurring because God is working out His plan of redemption. Every piece of news we hear is a news of God's grace. Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. That is why I think that the world, the flesh, and the devil try so hard to steal it from us. And if that is the case, how much more then ought we to endeavor to maintain that peace? Well, let's follow Mary as we go from Mary's contemplation to Mary's question. And I suggest we ought not to read the following as if Gabriel made a mistake in his greeting and had to recover. Instead, Gabriel continues to encourage in the new understanding of her identity. He makes a promise to Mary, which she still struggles to understand. Gabriel explains his greeting by delivering the promise of God to Mary in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Later, the angels will tell the shepherds not to be afraid of the sight of the angels suddenly in the sky. Here, Gabriel tells Mary not to be afraid of his greeting. Instead, she ought to interpret this greeting as an indication of her position with God. God has bestowed grace, undeserved favor upon her. She has not earned her position with God, but she has been given it because God has chosen her. She never finds her true greatness by looking within, but by looking to God who has given her her greatness. Gabriel continues by explaining what God will do in her. Look at verse 31 through 33. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom There shall be no end. Here is the greatness of Mary. The greatness of Mary is to be found in that she will bear a son. This woman will conceive and give birth to a son, a son to be named Jesus, a son whose name indicates his job, his work to be the Savior. Gabriel makes it clear that this child will be the Messiah. By all that he say, he shall be great and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him to the throne of David. The promise to David, the promise of reigning over Jacob, the promise of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Those very words that we read this morning from Isaiah chapter 9. The promise to Daniel is being fulfilled. Gabriel connects Jesus to the Messianic promises in these ways his divine origin as the Son of the Highest, the anointed nature of Jesus and his divinity, he will sit on the throne of David, the perpetual kingdom. The promises made to David in 2 Samuel 7 are coming to pass. You cannot escape from this description that the angel is delivering, that this child will be the promised Messiah, the Christ, the one that is going to restore everything, that everything up to this point in Luke has shown to be broken. People aren't believing. The sacrifices are, are crumbling. Uh, the, the royal family isn't where it's supposed to be. How, uh, how instructive that before Jesus is born, the family in Nazareth of the royal blood is forced to go back to Bethlehem. Mary is blessed because of all women in Israel. God chose her to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Let's pause here. We know how this story ends. We know the struggles that Mary would have with Jesus. The temple incident, the wedding problem, the exclusion of the family when they tried to visit, the washing at the cross. Would anyone want to sign up for Mary's life? Gabriel sees her at the as the most blessed person in Israel at that time, possibly the most blessed person in the entire world. Simeon will say to Mary that a sword will pierce you because of the child that you have born. And we think of all the struggles that Mary endured during her life And yet God assesses that she is the most blessed among women. And God's assessment is incontrovertible. For what God says about you is true of you, whether you believe it or accept it or realize it or not. The world and the flesh of the devil would have us look at our own situation with a negative assessment to put before our eyes everything bad that is going on in life And to convince us that we are of all people the least blessed of God's people. But that is not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that because of Jesus we are of all people the most blessed. Even as Mary was blessed in a different way. Now Mary struggles though with the mechanics of what's going on. Look at verse 24. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Mary's question requires delicate handling because we can be tempted to look at it in the same way as we look at Zechariah's question. When he says something very similar uh, to the angel who appears to him, how shall this be? We probably should not interpret this question as a statement of doubt, as it was for Zechariah, but a statement of curiosity. Remember, Mary lives and recognizes that she is living in an age of miracles. Because her cousin, Elizabeth, who should never have a child, is now with child in her sixth month. Yet there is a mystery to this statement. The angel tells her that she will have a son, and naturally speaking, that is not merely unlikely like it was for Elizabeth, but impossible physically. The situation will be unprecedented, and perhaps she just wants to understand how this will work. The fact that Gabriel will answer her question tells us something about Mary's peace. It tells us that Mary, by asking this question, is fighting for her peace, a peace that is exemplified in the final verse of this passage. The fact that she asks this question and receives an answer tells us something about God's lisping to us and encouraging our peace, and that is that peace needs content. Peace is not something that merely happens to us. It is not merely something that... You know, we find out when we are able to get alone and there's no noise and no one uh, grousing at us anymore. Peace requires some form of understanding. It requires some form of content. It requires some knowledge. It requires some thought. And what is that content? What is that thought? What is that understanding? It is the message of the gospel for, to us. The simplest person can have better peace than a great intellect because it doesn't require a great intellect or great knowledge, but it requires some understanding. A minimum understanding of God and the way that He saves us in Christ. A knowledge of the gospel. There are many who have a false peace, many who live in delusions that give them tranquility, but that is not what the Bible promised. A peace, as as we know of in Shalom, that is a wholeness of life, comes from a wholeness of understanding of God and His principles. Those two weapons that I talk about, humility and the understanding of the character, character of God. The questions we are to ask of God are not faithless, that a searching of the scriptures to know God's ways better. How do you fight for peace? You go back to the Bible. Where do you go to get your questions answered? You go to the one who has all the questions answered in Scripture. How do you know whether, which questions you should ask and which you shouldn't? Well, the questions you should ask are the ones that the Bible answers for you. The secret things belong to the Lord, Bible says, but those he has revealed are to us and to our children forever that we may learn to obey. Our searching of the scriptures is not so that we might have an obscure uh, an, um, understanding of obscure theology, but that we may be grounded in the gospel. That's important for us in the Reformed community to recognize because uh, we like talking about obscure uh, theological minutiae. That's, that's our bread and butter. We're known for that. That's our, that's our street rep. We're those guys who are all about doctrine. And there's nothing wrong with that. But all this doctrine, if it's not anchored to the gospel, if it's not anchored to our pursuit of peace, is pointless. We see that in Mary's contemplation and Mary's question especially. And finally, I want us to look at Mary's comfort. The Gabriel answers Mary's question with an explanation that leaves more questions than it answers, but Mary takes the answer as sufficient and ends in peace. Gabriel answers Mary's question in a way that we still, 2,000 years later, still can't unravel and figure out. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We have a bunch of scientists who have investigated in biology all sorts of things, but we cannot understand the science. We cannot understand the psychology. We cannot understand the relationship of the human and divine natures in one person. All we can say with certainty is that Gabriel explains to Mary that though she will remain a virgin, the baby will be the product of the Holy Spirit's supernatural work, that he will be God and man in two distinct natures in one person forever. Gabriel explains that this must be the way, for this baby will be the Son of God. This is the only way. And Gabriel explains further why he doesn't need to explain further. Look at verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Gabriel says, look at your cousin. How impossible was that? and yet she is six months along, and she will bear a son. Now this is just, is a little bit more physically impossible, but if that was impossible, why should a little bit more impossibility really get you bound up? Because with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing shall be called impossible. Mary is saying this is an impossibility, a virgin having a baby. God says nothing is impossible. And for Mary, this is a sufficient explanation. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word. The angel departed from her. I said before, the first weapon we pick up is humility, and I think humility is one thing that Mary had in abundance, and we in our intellectually superior, I'll put that in air quotes, uh, environment in which we live, our perceived intellectual superiority, we probably would want a whole lot of questions to be answered. All right, Gabriel, we're gonna have to think of the biology, the DNA, the RNA, the mRNA, the, all the other RNA th- NA things, that we want to understand about how this is going to happen, because this looks all sorts of weird and strange to us. Mary says, God does the impossible, and that's fine. And he is doing it for good. So, I accept it. Imagine that this girl commits herself to a pregnancy out of wedlock. She accepts that her life is going to be filled with snide remarks and ignorant accusations. That she and her son will suffer through life with the stigma of a disreputable birth. A disreputable birth that is even brought up during his earthly ministry as we read of in John 8.41. This is her life, but notice her statement. She accepts God's will for her life, not that she had really any option to refuse, mind you, but I want you to note especially her self-identification. I am the handmaid of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. This is her understanding of herself that gives her peace. She is the Lord's and whatever he will do is right because he has a plan and it is for good. Do you see yourself as a, hand, as a servant of the Lord? Do you see yourself As one of the Lord's people. Do you have this peace with God that is so evident in Mary's life? This above all matters to have peace with God. For the son born to Mary was the savior of all people. All men have sinned and earned God's wrath and death. But Jesus came and lived a sinless life to earn God's favor, to earn grace for us. We did not earn it. We could not deserve it. It had to be earned for us. He died upon the cross, the penalty our sin deserved. He rose again to publicly attest that his work was done, that God had accepted his sacrifice. And we, by faith, lay hold of Jesus and all of his benefits. Today he is offered to you and peace with God that he provides. And this is the peace that leads to all peace. So I ask you, will you today lay hold of Jesus do you believe that what he did, he did for you? Will you turn from your sin and follow him? Christian peace, brings, peace rests on an understanding of who we are in Christ. Mary's peace relied upon her understanding of herself before God, being the Lord's servant, being his. Our peace rests in our identity in the Son, in Jesus That identity gives us an inward peace that no external disturbance can ever take away. We often think that the problem is outside, that if our circumstances were different, if we didn't have to listen to the news, if we didn't have to be aware of all the bad things that are going on in this world, or the bad things that are entering into our own life, we would be okay and we would have peace. But our circumstances are often the one things that we cannot change. We cannot change others. We can work to change ourselves. We can find peace not by trying to change things outside, but within. We find peace only when we find it in Christ, and our acceptance of him. Mary could not change her circumstances. She would deal with all the conditions that accompanied the birth of Jesus. It is her acceptance of God's will that leads to her peace. We are here in this place And in this time, because God has put us in this place and in this time. He has chosen according to his sovereign will, according to his immense understanding, according to his almighty knowledge and power. Because he knows what is best, and we are put here as participators in his plan of redemption. And all the circumstances that you discover in your life are not here to harm you, but to grow you. In Christ God does not give you justice, for that justice he has put upon Christ upon the cross. All your hell, all the suffering, and the torments of your sin are gone. And everything in your life is his fatherly discipline and his abundant grace. God's intention to his people is good, even though it may require suffering. Mary's life is not going to be a bed of roses because she was the mother of Jesus. You know the rest of the story. It's not. And yet she is so much blessed. And the same is true for us. She accepts what's going to happen because she understands her God. And the gospel gives us the ability to accept the news and see in it the loving hand of our Savior. So let us pursue His peace as we remember who we are in Him. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, as we bow before You, we recognize that the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to steal our peace, and we allow it to be stolen, for we forget all the things that make for our peace. Our appreciation of Your character, our our humility before your almighty and omniscient hand. We forget that you are God and we are your people and that you have shown us an everlasting love. We don't pursue peace by digging into your word and letting it transform our minds. We pray that we would be those who pursue peace Not that it should be an end in itself, but that in that peace we may serve you with joy. Hear our prayer this morning as we make it in Jesus' name. Amen.